At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Everywhere we turn, someone is promising to finally give us the satisfaction and happiness we long for. Yet from advertisements to political campaigns, these promises so often remain unfulfilled. We know God makes promises too, but do you ever wonder if He'll actually keep them? Join us for our Christmas series, Fulfilled, as we discover how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to us and how the promises He kept then fulfill our deepest longings now. Hey church, you can go ahead and grab a seat. Give it up for our worship team. Yes. Now, does everyone have a seat in this place? It's a little full, all right? If you don't have a seat, but let's just, if everyone could scoot in a little, that would be wonderful. You know, it's good to give, and we can give someone a seat. That'd be, that'd be a wonderful benefit of today. And in the meantime, let me share a joke with you. What did Adam say the day before Christmas? It's Christmas Eve. Oh, is that, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad, how good? That's a 10, right? 10, okay, good. Two, come on, come on, okay. <laughs> Have you ever received a Christmas gift that you did not truly understand the value until years later? I don't know about you, but I have. I think about my kids even, and, and they'll get a gift, and then they'll, they'll look at the package, and maybe we got to put it together, or maybe it's going to take some time, and, and they'll move on. They'll go to the next thing, and they will not care about that current gift. You know, you hear the stories about kids playing in the boxes while the $100 gift is right there on the side, and, and I've witnessed that time and time again, and, and I even remember as a kid, you know, it was the best creating forts out of the giant boxes from the gifts you would receive, uh, but I remember one year, it was actually my very first year of marriage. It was the winter of 2011. And I received a Makita drill, okay? Yes, I received a tool, all right? If you know me, I'm not the most handy individual, all right? I, I get by on my looks and my charm. Those are the things that have, that have got me through life. And, uh, and so I received this Makita drill, and I remember receiving it from my father-in-law and being like, oh, Okay, that's, that's cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. And then we moved into our home, and I had to hang a picture shelf or put a dresser together. I'm like, oh, this is pretty handy. And I didn't think anything of it until one of my friends came over. And my friend, who knows me very well, saw this Makita drill, and he said, wait a minute, Winston, why do you have a Makita drill? You're more of a craftsman kind of guy. You don't buy expensive tools, let alone a Makita. Why do you have a Makita drill? I said, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. I said, why don't you think I could have a Makita drill? He said, one, you're cheap. <laughs> you're very cheap. You don't use it enough. And, and this is a high-level drill. And I said, oh, man, I, I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that it was a good drill. He called me for what it was. He drilled me, all right? And uh, in that moment... I started to realize over time, hey, this, is, this thing is like indestructible. 
this thing is really nice. This thing is high level, and it has lasted me over the last decade of marriage. And so over time, I've realized, man, this, is, this, is, this was a really good gift. And so some of us, we've received gifts like that, that over time, we've realized how important that was. Some of us, it's more sentimental, and it was something you received from a mother or a father or a spouse, and now that's as good as gold. Because of the sentimental nature and what it represents and who it came from. And so I think about Christmas and I think about Jesus being born. And we've been talking about uh, over the last month about Jesus and his birth and the story through the, through the gospel of Matthew. And I think when we talk about this story that probably the people in the narrative they didn't truly understand what they had with Christ. You know, you have these wise men and these, and these shepherds and angels appearing and, and this manger. And you have all these figures that are part of this story. But, but I'm not too sure that they really understood, had that realization of the significance of Jesus' birth. Because it, it just kept increasing. Over time, the implications of his birth grew because what he was going to accomplish. And so my prayer this evening is that as that Makita drill grew in importance and value in my life, that the story of the birth of Jesus grows in value in your life. And some of us, man, we've heard this story, we've heard it from many different angles. Uh, some of us, maybe you've heard it so many times, you could recite it back to me, and you know the differences based on the Gospels, on who said what and where and how. Uh, but regardless, I hope today that we can talk about one more prophecy that was fulfilled through the birth of Jesus. I've been talking about Herod, King Herod. This guy was nuts. <laughs> this guy was paranoid. He was evil. He was the villain of the story. And we've talked about how he, he wanted the wise men to come back to him, say where Jesus was born so he could go and he could eliminate Jesus so he could stay in power. He was so power hungry, so prideful that he was willing to do whatever it took to, to get this threat out of the picture. Well, what we know is that Joseph, he took his wife Mary, he took Jesus, and they fled to Egypt. And they were in Egypt probably around a year. And then eventually when, a, when an angel appeared to them again, they went home. But when they went home, they didn't go to Bethlehem. They went to the city or village of Nazareth. And so when they went back to Nazareth, that was actually fulfilling of a prophecy. Look, look at this in Matthew 2.23. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. But this raises a question, a very important question, because you look at this, 
And it says, okay, this is fulfilling a prophecy that was shared in the Old Testament. The only thing is we don't have a specific place in where it says that he will be a Nazarene. Let alone it says that it was shared by the prophets. This is the only place that we see multiple prophets that shared this, that he would be called a Nazarene. So the question is, where does this come from then? Why was Jesus to be called a Nazarene? And why was there multiple prophets that shared this? And so there's something we miss, and I think in English, this is one of those areas where we miss it. Because in the Old Testament, it was written in Hebrew. And so when it was written in Hebrew, there are certain words that don't give the same punch as we read in English today. And so one of the words that we, that we read is a words play of the word nazar. And nazar is a word that can be translated as branch. Nazar is a word that also could be translated as Nazarene. And so when we see that Jesus is declared a Nazarite, it could also mean that he's declared the branch. And we see in the Old Testament different areas where Jesus is called the branch. Look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah shares one of the scriptures that he is called the branch. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely. That word branch is in Hebrew, nazar. Also we see in Zechariah 6.12, where it says the branch as well. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is, is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. That word branch is nazar. But one of the clearest references in the writings of the prophets is actually from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, 700 years before Jesus is born. And this is at a moment where Isaiah, he's warning the nation of Israel that if they continue to sin, the, the Babylonians are going to come, they're going to take them captive, and they're going to experience judgment, they're going to be conquered, because they continually stray away from God. And so in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, he says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots, shall bear fruit. I want to throw a picture up here for you guys. Let's throw up a picture of a tree stump. All right? Now we see this. I did landscaping for multiple years. My dad actually owned a landscaping business. But I'm very thankful we didn't have to do tree removal. Because if anyone has done tree removal, you know it's not an easy business. And, and let alone the stump right? When you get to the stump, that takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, because those roots, they're buried deep, 
and, and it takes a lot of energy to work around it, and you don't know how far and how deep those roots go. And so it's much more difficult than taking off the, the tree that we can see externally. And so what we see here in the picture of a tree stump is something that once was large, once had, had branches and leaves and, and birds would come and land on the tree and, and maybe have a nest and it would be seen from a distance. And so once was something glorious has now just turned into a little stump. And, and what happened with the Israelites is what was once mighty and large and strong and to be seen has now been chopped down. This mighty empire, this mighty strong nation is just like a tree stump, something that once was that no longer is. And so we see when it says the stump of Jesse, God is saying that, hey, out of this stump, there's going to be hope. Out of something that was once great, that has now been chopped down, we're going to see a branch. We're going to see it start to bear fruit again. And so when these Israelites are down and out and, and bruised and broken and captive in, in Babylon... In that sorrow, it is said that a Nazare will come. A branch will come and there will be fruit again. There will be joy again. And so we see from the prophet Isaiah, and we went on to describe in, in multiple ways what the coming of the branch would look like, how it would sprout. And one of the things we learn from this stump, from this branch, is that it's actually going to come from royal lineage. It, it says in Isaiah 11.1, 1, there will come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So we find out that this branch, this Nazare, this Savior, is actually going to come from the line of Jesse. But what's interesting to me is that they mention Jesse. Does anyone know who Jesse is? Jesse is the father of King David. And so King David, he's kind of a big deal, right? Like this guy was a stud. He was a warrior. He was a giant slayer. He was rugged. I'm sure he had an eight-pack, you know. He was the man. He was the apex of what it meant to be a king of Israel. The only difference here is that they mention his father. And so I was like, man, that's kind of interesting. When they're prophesying and saying a branch will come forward from the great people of Jesse, I'm like, wait a minute. When we mention someone great, we usually don't mention their father. Like, like just think about it. If we talk about George Washington, the very first president of the United States, does anyone even know his dad's name? <laughs> George. That is incorrect. <laughs> I love the effort, though. 
It's Augustine. Like I knew that, I Googled it, okay? <laughs> but, but that's the point. When you mention George Washington, there's going to be great presidents from the line of Augustine. No. You mention the person that's known. George Washington. What about sports? Like, man, that's gonna, he's going to be from the line of James Jordan. Well, no one mentions James Jordan. They mention Michael Jordan. Because he was the one who accomplished so much. He was the one who won the championships. George Washington was the one who led our nation to, to be freed from Great Britain. And so I wonder, why did they mention Jesse? David was a king. George Washington's dad was a farmer. Michael Jordan's dad was a mechanic and was in the Navy. Jesse was a shepherd. Jesse was a man who didn't have a lot of significance. Actually, he was in a very insignificant village. His family was of low estate. And yet God chose to make Jesse's son king. Not his oldest son, not his middle son, his youngest son. And so I was researching this. I'm like, okay, what, what, what's going on here? Why are they mentioning Jesse? Why is this something of great importance? It was because they wanted to emphasize the humility in which the promised king would be born. You know, our Savior, <laughs> he didn't come riding in on a white horse and having this major kingdom. He didn't, he wasn't born in the Hilton born in a manger he rode in on a donkey and so it, it revealed the humbleness of this poor shepherd who had these sons and that's who God chose to make his royal lineage his branch his Nazar but not only would this branch have royal lineage but he also would have righteous rule. Isaiah went on to describe how the coming king would rule. He would speak with wisdom and authority. He would speak with wisdom and authority. Isaiah 11.2 says, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He will judge with justice. It says in Isaiah 11:4, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He would judge with justice. I actually know one judge. And I was talking to him one day. I actually when I was a youth pastor, his daughter was in our youth ministry. And he would have to campaign every couple years and he'd have to continue to stay educated on how law changed and new policies coming out. And I said, man, how do you do it? How do you take a person and you, and you see a piece of paper and you see what is presumed to be the facts and how do you judge correctly that this person is either guilty 
or not guilty. He says it's hard because I don't see motive. I can't look into their heart. I can see facts. I can look at the law. He's like, but I, I just need God's wisdom. I, I need him to give me that discernment because I want to judge correctly. I want to judge with justice. In a world that we want justice, we want truth to prevail, we see that Jesus, he's going to judge with justice. He will also provide peace. Isaiah 11.6 says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the youngest goat. We see here that he doesn't come to, to bring war. He comes to bring peace. He, he comes to dwell in the midst of the wolves as a lamb to provide that peace. And so this branch would come to, to have wisdom and authority and to judge with justice, to bring peace. And the branch from that royal lineage would also have this, this universal reign. Isaiah 11.10 says this, with having to do with his universal reign. It says, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him who shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The Nazare, the branch, will be king over all the nations. And he will bring about in that day between countries and all the allegiances, there will be allegiance to him. This is why, with that starry constellation, this is why the three magi, the three wise men, journeyed and traveled for months to welcome him. This is why the angels appeared to the shepherds. This is why in the lowly place of a manger that he would be glorified. When the world was oblivious, carrying on like normal, the Savior of the world, the King of the world was to be born. I think about that. But over time, people would start to realize the incredible gift that they had. Even his mom, we see in scripture that, that she, was, she was even surprised at certain junctures of his life. She was treasuring things in her heart because this was her son. Even though he was the savior of the world, this was her child. And she treasured these moments and was blown away by how people were speaking about her son. But when it comes down to it, Jesus was the promised king. Jesus was the one that was the branch that was talked about in Jeremiah, in Isaiah, in Zechariah, that would come and he would rule. 
But this baby turned into a man. And he did these things. Like Jesus didn't just stay in a manger. He grew up. He lived. He loved. He met people where they were at. He didn't expect them to rise to his level. He didn't come in being carried on a throne or, or being fanned or, or fed grapes. He wandered with a bunch of teenagers that were his disciples. He spoke on hills and went fishing in lakes for his food. And when people came forward and they were hungry, he fed them. And when they were broken and, and hurting and sinful, he, he forgave them. He opened his arms when they were even caught in sin. Caught in, in, in sin where they could have died, he mediated for them. And eventually, this man who healed the sick, who loved people unconditionally, you'd eventually go the next step to die. You know, I was reading this story, and it was from October 2019, and the guy's name was Tyler Moon, and this was in Indianapolis, and it was a 10-mile run, and there were people, thousands of people here for this 10-mile run, and he wanted to be bold about his faith. So Tyler Moon, on his little racing bib, he put on there, Jesus saves. So here he's running around and he's hoping that he has an impact on people. And lo and behold, that statement became eerily prophetic. Because eight miles in to the 10 mile run, he had a heart attack. So he's on the ground and immediately people from the race came to save him, to help him. And one of the people that came to help him, that per performed CPR on him to bring him back to life, his name was Jesus Bueno. <laughs> Who would have thought that Jesus saved that day, right? We say that line a lot, Jesus saves, and, and some of us, we got the bumper stickers and the t-shirts, which is cool. You know, I got the tattoo right here. People are like, is that true? I don't know. I don't. But, but here's the thing. Not yet, at least. When, when we say this statement, sometimes we don't give it justice. When we say Jesus saves, it means Jesus suffered. Jesus lived. But also Jesus died. And Jesus went to a place that we call the cross. And Jesus had nails, and he had beatings, and he was buried, and he rose on that third day. So when we say Jesus saves, it came at a deep, deep cost. But for us... It's all about putting our trust in him. Do we believe that Jesus is that savior of our life? Do we believe that he died for our sins? Are we willing to surrender 
our very lives to him. Our very ambitions to, to his ambitions. Because the invitations here tonight, whether you're here every week, or, or maybe this is one of those times of the year where you're here and you haven't been back in a while. No matter if you're saved or you're not, there's, there's a relationship that is there and God wants to have it with you. Yes, Jesus is the promised king, the promised savior, and he did it because of you. He gave his very life for us. You know, one of my favorite verses is actually from John chapter 1, and it talks about how Jesus is the light of the world. One of my favorite traditions on Christmas Eve is singing Silent Night with just the candles lit. So in a moment, right, we're, we're going to sing, and we're going to get those candles lit right now. We can, we can start that. We talk about silent night in a manger, in a place where so many were oblivious to what was happening. The very light of the world came. And so as you get those candles lit, let's have a moment that we just sing to the Father, glorifying Him for what He's done. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.